0: So send your questions to AskLisa at DrLisaDemore.com. Episode 23, I can't make sense of America. What do I tell my kid? Have you ever tried to like explain what's happening in a country in a therapy session? Because that's actually what I'd like to do today. Like, oh. I, I, <laughs> you know, we've talked about this before where you keep checking like your Instagram or social media or Twitter and you can't stop. Like, like, like what is it? Is it like dopamine that gets restored or wh- what happens? Because I can't stop checking oh. to where I'll realize like I'm online checking what the latest thing is and I'm wasted an hour of my day. I just can't keep up. But I feel like yeah. there's an elephant sitting on my chest and I am eating so much dark chocolate. Yeah. I have to stop. <laughs> yeah, no um
1: man, what an anxious time. What an anxious time and and the checking, I think mm-hmm. that's often rooted in anxiety, right This sense of I need more information, I need more information and and what we actually see and, and we've studied this when when you check for information, if what you get is ambiguous it just leaves you more anxious. And right now all we get is ambiguous because if you're checking in five minute intervals, there's no Significant, usually. You know, there are, have been so many significant events, but at those really rapid intervals, it just keeps your anxiety high. And, and so, um, part of what you need to do if you feel like there's an elephant on your chest and you're eating too much chocolate, right, is to take a break, right, like to step away.
0: But you can't really take a break, right? Like I'm wondering, how do I explain this to the kids? They thought it was really funny seeing, you know, the images from Capitol Hill. Like they can't believe these are adults; these yeah. are grown adults, yeah. and they don't sort of understand fully the symbolism of Capitol Hill. And I just, I, I like, I don't even know where to begin, Lisa. I know it's so it's it's weird. Like they know it's weird, but they don't really get
1: it. And and I I um, am having the same experience at my house, and. Um, managing it better and worse. Um, I, I wrote a piece for The Times that came out the day after um, the Capitol riot, um, called "Parenting While Shocked," <laughs> which we'll put in the That's in great. the notes. And I and I just tried to walk through that that experience, right, of of really working so hard to try to take it in yourself, and and not really knowing how to pivot from one's own effort to make sense of it to actually trying to explain it to kids. Um, and, and I walked through sort of how I got there, which is basically, okay, I still have to be the grown up in the room at my house. And that doesn't mean I have to fix everything, but I do need to be present and available and put my phone down and um, try to think this through with my kids. And And one of the things I've been saying a lot is, you are living through major historical moments. Like that's mm. something mm. I can say that I feel to be accurate and to try to
0: give them a perspective on how big it all is. But before I even help them, like, I need to understand myself and process this, right? And so as you're processing it, one of the first things that comes to my mind as I'm seeing this, like, there's a significant part of the country that feels unheard, And I was just wondering if you could walk us through, like, what do you do when people just aren't listening? Like, you must have sessions where you, you just realize the, uh, both sides are warring. And whether it's a parent or child or two spouses, like, how do you get people to see the other side? Right? Yeah. No, I mean, it
1: definitely comes up in therapy. And what I will say is, in therapy, by the time people are in my office, things are usually moving in the right direction because they have decided they want help. They have gotten themselves somewhere to get help. They're willing to pay for help. So, in some ways, by the time you're in my office, that's a low hanging fruit. You know, I look at what's going on nationally and I try to think through, like, how do we address this, like, broad scale as parents? to move beyond this intense polarization, right? Like that's what we've got. We've got this intense polarization and so I, of course, just like dig into the psychology research. Like, like I
0: think those, mm-hmm. that's like my security blanket. I'm like, well, what do we know I from the that. science, you know? Yeah, because like, yeah, what do what the facts or the research tell yeah. us? And so what, 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 what's most interesting to okay, you? Okay, so here's what
1: I have been returning to. And I really mean it, Rena. Like, I return to it like a comfort. Like, okay, we, we, mm. we've thought this through. We, we are not new to these experiences. And the work here that is seminal, Like, who really started to try to unpack this? There's actually an extraordinary story. It's this guy named Henry Tajfel, who was born in 1919 in Poland. And he um, was Jewish and so could not go to get a higher education in Poland. So he went to the Sorbonne and started to do school there. And then World War II broke out, and he joined the French army and he fought for the French against the Germans. He was captured and put in a prisoner of war camp where he um, was never detected as Jewish, which the, the understanding is that probably saved his life because if he had been detected, the Germans would have moved him to um, a concentration camp and he wouldn't have survived. So he spent the war in prisoner of war camps. When he went back to Poland after the war, his entire immediate family was killed. Many of his friends were killed um, in the concentration camps. And so then, you know, stuff happens, he ends up in London, studying psychology. And his work was entirely on the roots of discrimination. And what he said, and this is the part that was radical, but he proved it in so many ways. He basically said, the Nazis, they're not so different from us. Like, we want them to be. And, and the, the prevailing discourse at the time was, there's something damaged in the Germans, there's something like there's this you know, national character flaw. And he basically said, I think that what we saw was an exaggerated, you know, horrific form of something that everyone carries around inside of them, which is the wish to be part of a group and often to do that at the expense of
0: another group wow, that is powerful, especially hearing that Nazis, they're not so different from us. And and this needing to feel part of something. It's pretty um, jarring. And and of course, we're talking continuums,
1: right? We're talking, you know, there is like my club and your club. And then there is, of course, you know, lethal, horrific, grand scale violence. So I'm not saying, you know, these are equivalent. I'm just saying there, you know, we can we can track them on the same continuum. And, and he did a Paper that came out um, in 1970 that was sort of like the big breakout paper, and it was called, you know, experience in experiences or experiments in intergroup discrimination. And basically, what he did, and this is what's so stunning, and this really rocked the understanding of discrimination, he did things where he got like packs of 14 and 15 year olds, and um, I think they were all boys in his experiment. And he asked them questions, you know, around like what they like to look at, you know, dots, things like that. I mean, kind of very random, bogus questions. And then he completely randomly and with no meaning at all said to them, oh, you, you're the kind of kid who likes paintings by Kandinsky. And oh, those guys over there, they're the kinds of kids who like paintings by Klee. OK, so a completely meaningless to the boys, like random, bogus assignment of groups like, but you're like this and they're like that. Mm-hmm. he then gave them the opportunity to um, award money to their own group and to the other group. And what he found is, of course, not surprisingly, they awarded more money to their own group. But the other thing that he found is they even would hold back money from the other group, even if it cost them themselves. And so he was like, there, there I did it. I created discrimination, and the wish to harm another group on the most random, invented, arbitrary things. And that piece of like, understanding that every one of us has within us the wish to be part of something. And that lays the groundwork for the wish to be against something else, and that that can go down a horrifying and perverse path. Like that piece, like that's where I start as a psychologist. So why do you keep coming back to this? Honestly, it's the defense of intellectualization.
0: <laughs> uh, meaning, <laughs> meaning? Meaning, okay,
1: so one of the things that we know in psychology is that we all have these psychological defenses we use. They are these unconscious um, circuit breakers, emotional circuit breakers. They filter <laughs> Intense experiences and so you know there are better and worse defenses, so like a bad one is denial where you're like, that didn't happen. okay, the reason we think it's bad is because it completely messes with reality. There are better ones where you still stay in touch with the reality, but you actually um filter it through something like an intellectual approach so honestly, part of it is that the the sheer um, rawness of the polarization, how, how dangerous and how intense and violent it becomes in this country, becomes emotionally well overwhelming for me as it does for many people. And so then I like fall back on the defense of intellectualization and try to make sense of it in my own way. And and so I think that's part of why I come back to it. But then I also think it opens the path to think about, okay, so then what does this mean
0: in my house? Like what, what power do I have here? Mm. So... As you're looking at our situation here today, right, what are the things that you see? I mean, it. it I, I just keep thinking of my time in the Middle East as a journalist, and I spent so much time looking at the radicalization of people online who were mobilized. And I never thought it would follow me back home, that you're seeing people and the use of social media. I mean, a lot of these big social media companies are getting a lot of heat and, and I feel like there's some action being taken uh, aggressively, but but you've got so much going on. You know, we're seeing cancel culture. When you look at this as a psychologist, what do you peel away? So,
1: let me actually stop on what you just said about like when you look at this as a psychologist, because like that is that's the that's what I can do, and so I, I, and I and I have a, a a lot to say on how I understand this. But the other thing I always think is so interesting and it's so like fascinating to me, is the way in which if we if we think about what we're you know what we're facing as a country right now, that there's all these different perspectives that can be brought. Like there's the political one, there's the gendered one, like you talk about radicalization, that tends to be guys. You know, there's all of these different um framings. and they're you know, they're all fascinating in their own right. The only one I can do comfortably is the psychological framing. And I just say that not to in any way diminish the other, you know, critical framings. So as a psychologist, where I go to is the idea that everyone, and especially I would say this is really raw at, you know, adolescence, everybody needs a sense of identity. Like, what am I about? And everybody needs a source of self-esteem. And when you look at radicalization... Or people going to extremes. From the psychological perspective, that's what's usually at the root. I needed to feel that I was part of something. I needed to feel like I knew what I was about, and I needed to feel that it was important for my self esteem. And and so that piece of like, if we look at it through that developmental lens of, do kids have a sense of feeling apart, and do kids have a a source of self esteem that does not involve and this is a hugely important thing, the dehumanization of other people,
0: mm. right? That Those are the questions as parents that we have to be asking. So how do you start laying the foundation to help your kids see this? Like what should we be telling them? What should we say? I think mostly
1: you start with their questions because they've got lots. And then of course the other thing is they're picking up information all over the place that we don't know about, <laughs> and this is true Really, at all ages, right? I mean, kids pick up stuff on the playground that, you know, they misunderstand or some other kid misunderstood something and then says something that terrifies your child or confuses your child. This is totally happening with teenagers because they have a whole discourse going on online that grownups don't have much access to or knowledge of. So I think the first question is you say to your kid, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Then, whatever comes at you, a guiding way to engage it is to make a distinction between disagreeing with somebody and dehumanizing somebody. And and that's the place, that's the line that we cannot cross, right? You can disagree all day long with somebody. You can't dehumanize them. When disagreement grows out of control, it's because it's crossed the line into dehumanization. And by dehumanization meaning you are not a whole person, you are not a valuable person. you you know everything about you is horrendous, and I can
0: be violent against you because you don't count so i th- getting into that process of that mind space of dehumanization, how do I know I've crossed it because I think some people don't yeah, I and mean, it sounds like it, it seems pretty clear you know and defined, but I think for a lot of people, they don't even know that they've crossed that line. they
1: may not be conscious of it, right they may not and I think um, if they're our kid and we hear them saying, like, that person's horrible, I hate them, and I wish they would die, right? I mean, that's that's a pretty mm-hmm. good <laughs> indicator that you've moved mm-hmm. um, over that line. I think the right response for a parent to say is, like, tell me what you're talking about. Tell me what happened. Tell me what was said. Tell me what you're thinking. And then I think to try to bring it back to, okay, I agree with you. I disagree with everything that person did. I disagree with everything that person said. Still a person. Whatever place they've arrived at, we have to assume that they somehow got there by a path that makes sense. Even if we disagree with so much of what was on that path, they're still a person.
0: Mm. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast.
1: Did you know that most bedding is made with harsh chemicals, like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, and toxic dyes? Luckily, one company is changing this standard for good. Bolen Branch Sheets, which you know I love, uses the rarest 100% organic cotton that's traceable from family farm to your family home. I have had my Bolland Branch Sheets for a while now, and I love them. They feel like butter. In fact, I am so used to them now that when I travel, as I often do for work, I take my Bolin Branch pillowcase with me and I put it on the pillow in the hotel room so I can enjoy that softness at least on my face, even when I'm not sleeping in my own bed. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code ASKLISA at BowlinBranch.com. That's Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code ASKLISA. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
0: I got the most amazing pair of bootcut black work pants that have been a game changer, all thanks to my stylist at Stitch Fix. The stylists understand your style, your size, your budget, and they do all the shopping for you. It took a couple of tries for the stylist and I to really see eye to eye. And once they did, it's such a game changer. I asked for a pair of black pants that make my legs look good and also would look good with a blouse or a nice top. They really nailed it. And then they found another cardigan for me that really works. I also love that they show you different styles of how you can put these outfits together. I love that it feels that like she can read my mind now and we've got a rhythm to where all I do is say I need this type of a wardrobe piece and she sends it to me. And it fits and it works. Styles that make you feel as good as you look. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash Lisa. That's stitchfix.com slash asklisa. stitchfix.com slash Lisa. I love doing laundry now because of Earth Breeze. Earthbreeze are these eco sheets that look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless, so you don't have that drippy goo from plastic jugs. Earthbreeze is really tough on stains, even odors. And if you've got teens, you know about those odors. Dermatologists tested hypoallergenic and also free of bleach dyes and parabens fragrance-free option is also there for anyone who wants it. So what Earth Breeze did was they got rid of the unnecessary chemicals for a formula that's kind to sensitive skin of all ages, and that includes babies. And I love that I just order online and the shipment comes right to my door when I need it. So right now, our listeners at Ask Lisa can receive 40% off of Earth Breeze. That's right, 40% off just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash Ask Lisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and get your 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash Lisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. I think often just siblings, especially my kids are 18 months apart, right? So they're constantly fighting all the time, right? Eight and 10. And I think there are moments where they clearly dehumanize each other, right? Like I think it's part of, you know, I chalk it up to sibling rivalry, right? But in those moments, like what... How do I make them conscious and aware that this could bleed out into something else? Or is there a point where they're too young and it's just too over their head? Um, I think there's
1: never a point. Well, I mean, like little, little ones probably over their head. But I think the way you do it is empathy, right? Like Mm -hmm. you say, like, look, I understand you're really, really, really mad at your sister, right? And you can't do this and you can't do that. And I understand that you disagree with her and, you know, she did something that really made you angry. Um, Is there any part of you that can understand where she's coming from? You know, and and pushing on that empathy and pushing for the retainment of empathy, and um, and then you know that's one flank, and then the other flank is, what's my kid's identity? What's my kid's source of self esteem? And and that's the those are the other sort of balls to watch, I think, as parents. Like you know, what are they deciding they belong to? You know, we talked about belonging, in you know, in a past episode. You know, what makes them feel good about themselves? And. You know, I would watch. Like, are they deciding to belong to groups where the price of admission is that you're crummy to other people? Right? Mm-hmm. That's really concerning. And and that's the kind of thing we want to watch out for.
0: You know, when you and I were talking, you know, so much of this podcast and what we have tried to really do is we know it's so important in shaping this next generation of children and the impact this pandemic is having on them that we might not know for decades, maybe even. Um, But as we are trying our best in this moment, you said something to me as we were talking, like, we are all wired for racism. What did you mean by that? Because I like to think I'm a brown woman, you know, my parents are from South India, how can I be wired for racism, right? So
1: some of that idea that we're sort of wired for racism is grounded in Tajfel's work, who basically proved it, like you can get people to be discriminatory on the dumbest things, you know, in 20 minutes. So it's easy to to trigger it. But another way that we understand racism, when we look at it through a psychology lens, is this idea that if you go back historically, like there's always discrimination, right? There's always one group who decides another group is somehow lousy. And what's really interesting is the, um, the Complaints about the other group are surprisingly consistent, right? Like they're violent, they're dumb, they're overly sexual, right? I mean, like there's always like this, you know, pattern, whether it's, you know, no matter who's being discriminated against, you know. And and one of the ways we understand that in psychology is the, the technical term we use is called projection, which is basically where we take aspects of ourselves that we're uneasy with and we ascribe them to another group, right? Mm. Our own wish to be aggressive, our own wish to be sexual, our own wish to be lazy or, you know, not smart. We dislike this in ourselves. And so this, in an unconscious process, we assign those traits to a group that is observably different from us, right? So, see, I'm not violent, sexual, dumb, whatever, because I don't look like the person who is, or I don't worship like the person who is. Or I don't live in the part of the country like the person who is. And so we create these like artificial divides, skin color, religion, race, whatever. And then we put the parts of our personality we dislike on the other side of the divide, ascribe it to the whole group, and then we go against the group. And so mm. this is another way just to, to just be honest about the fact that if we're going to make things right, if we're going to make things right, That we cannot start from the position of, I love everyone equally and always have and always will. We actually have to start from the position of, I have to work constantly in myself and my children against the impulse, conscious and unconscious, to um, draw lines between myself and others and to hold on to all the good traits on my side of the line and assume all the
0: bad traits are on the other
1: side of the line.
0: Mm. You know, I want to also ask you before you go uh, about cancel culture, Lisa. Can you talk to us a little bit about the psychology of cancel culture? Well,
1: yes, <laughs> because <laughs> that idea of like, I'm on this side of the line, and that person's on the other side of the line, also plays out in cl- cancel culture. And, and so cancel culture is a way, you know, and, and like, it's complicated. Like, are there some people who should be canceled? I don't know, probably, right? I mean, so I'm not saying like all cancel culture is useless or bad or terrible. But I think if we're watching if we're watching our kids decide to cancel somebody, right? Like, so if we really bring it home, because kids are doing this, like, you know, somebody does something silly, like, you know, in middle school that was dumb and probably racist. And then, you know, they can be canceled by their peers. Um, what does that mean? Um, and, and what I would be really careful about as parents is letting kids fall into the same thing they are saying is terrible, which is, you know, that kid said something bad. They are bad. They should be, you know, erased forever. I mean, basically dehumanizing their peers, right? Mm-hmm. So so one of the things that um, that we find really powerful, like when kids do dumb things, right, because kids totally do dumb things. Is this idea of restorative justice, right? This idea of giving kids and also people a chance to try to make it right and a chance to sort of acknowledge whom they've harmed and try to um, make repairs and ask for patience in the repair making. And, you know, some adults, some kids will really engage in that process effectively. Some adults and some kids will not engage in that process effectively, but at least there's a process that's been extended. But I want us to watch out for on either side, whatever side people think they're on, this idea of dehumanizing people on the other side, saying mm. you are worthless. I'm erasing you. Mm. Um, I I want to be really careful that people aren't doing this from any posture.
0: Mm. So, what would you say as we're kind of in this uncertain space? We don't know what to expect from day in and day out, and I think. I don't really like to think that I suffer from anxiety, but I'm definitely feeling something. I'm definitely feeling something in the past few days. What would be your takeaway for folks? I think the takeaway on this
1: is actually to separate out the adult experience from the kid experience. Mm. Because we have the gift and the curse of a lot of perspective on this, right? So Rena, you and I can look at this in middle age and be like, whoa, like this is major and huge and overwhelming. Interestingly, kids just developmentally, just because they're not middle-aged, they can't put it in a scope of 50 years of never seeing news like this. And so it doesn't arrive necessarily to the same scale for them that it does for us. So I guess what I would say is try to – assume that they don't necessarily experience the way you experience it, and that they can't and that it's not something for them to be faulted about. Like, I think some parents can be like, you're not getting it. (laughs) Well, yeah, like, because they're kids, like, they can't really like you need the life experience, you need to have worked in Baghdad, you need to have that, you know, that broad scope to appreciate the scale. And so I just, I would say like, be really gentle with yourself and be really gentle with your kids. Like these lessons will spool out in front of us, but bring them home, right? Think, Mm -hmm. listen to how your kids are talking about people. Even if your kid feels like they're on the right side and being righteous, listen to how they're talking about people. Because the lesson, the lesson you want to drive home is, you can have differences, you can have disagreements, you can disapprove of what somebody did. Dehumanization
0: does not happen in this house. Hmm. That's so important. Uh, you know, I don't think I've paid attention enough in, in that or kind of let it go and, and don't use that as a moment to say something. So it's really powerful. Um, thank you. You're welcome. I feel up at it. <laughs> okay. I really do. I really do. Although you did call me middle-aged and that's the first person to ever oh, call me Oh, Rena, middle-aged. man, I'm
1: sorry, but come on.
0: Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still on our first January, first week episode of Manifestations of what JLo keeps telling you. I'm timeless. I'm um, youthful. You are. And also, I <laughs> love being middle-aged. I think it's the best. I do, too. I, I, I can't say enough about that, too. I agree. I totally agree. So, you know, we do, we're going to start doing these Instagram Lives on Friday. You've got to check out our Ask Lisa podcast Instagram account, and we'll tell you when on Fridays. And um, in addition to that, we got some feedback you know we were thinking of how else what other segments we can add towards the end and one of the things we came up with was this idea of a book giveaway you know other resources to give parents that are really great books that you love that are new and um so we decided we're going to do a book giveaway on Instagram so it's pretty simple if you all you have to do is follow us on our account Ask Lisa Podcast, and tag a friend place a comment you've got to be in the U.S. Um, if you're not in the U.S., you can still follow us, tag us, and let us know where you're, you're consuming the podcast from. But we're going to have a book giveaway this week. It's going to run until our next podcast comes out, which is the following Tuesday. So, Lisa, tell us about this awesome book. Okay. So the book we're giving away, and we're going to give away
1: three copies, is um, The Price You Pay for College, An Entirely New Roadmap for the Biggest Financial Decision Your Family Will Ever Make. This is a brand new book coming out from Ron Lieber who is a journalist for the New York Times and he did unbelievably excellent reporting on how college costs work. Um, I have read this book, it is eye-opening and hugely, hugely useful and important for any family that is looking at the price tag on college and trying to figure out what they're going to do. So we'll give away three copies and Oh, and we'll continue to do Four Children Everywhere, um, but we'll start to mix in some book giveaways because we have such incredible resources that we want our
0: listeners to have access to. That's great. So follow us, Ask Lisa Podcast, tag a friend, leave a comment, and we'll randomly choose a winner. Wonderful. Awesome. So before we go, what's your parenting to go? So my parenting to go is, I'm
1: sure I've said this before, you know, my favorite Um, saying I I got from a Dove chocolate wrapper, which is don't talk about it, just be about it. And Mm. so if we think about discrimination and we think about prejudice, the way you work against it is actually to have diversity in your circle because it's very hard to maintain discrimination and prejudice against someone who you know who is different from you. And so I would say, in addition to the kinds of conversations that we've talked about today in terms of working against prejudice and discrimination in our lives, you also have to have diverse circles and you have to work to help your kids have diverse circles. And um, that is probably the most powerful way to work against discrimination and what we call in psychology implicit bias, this unconscious process by
0: which we decide we're better than other people. It's really good. Thanks so much, Lisa. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to Lisa at drlisademore.com.